0: Hello, and welcome to the Society of Construction Law Australia's podcast, the podcast where we look at technical and legal issues facing the Australian construction industry. My name's Melissa Yeo, and I'm one of the directors of the Society. On Melbourne Cup Day this year, the Society organised a breakfast event in Brisbane, kindly hosted by Coors Chambers-Westgarth. Our speaker, fresh off the plane from the SCL Hong Kong conference, was Adrian Hughes QC of 39 Essex Chambers in London. Adrian shared his lessons from success and failure in major construction projects before a large audience of industry professionals. For those of you who could not attend, this episode records Adrian's enlightening presentation. Be sure to subscribe to the Society of Construction Law Australia's podcast to be alerted when new episodes are available. We look forward to sharing further podcasts with you. I'm Melissa Yeo. Thanks for joining us.
1: Hello everyone, it's a huge pleasure to be here in Brisbane and, uh, and a particular pleasure to be invited on Melbourne Cup Day to uh, join the celebrations. And Thank you all for, for turning out um, at breakfast and I hope that uh, it's a catalyst for um, everyone to get together and then have a, have a wonderful day after this. So the, uh, the agenda in brief is to l- look at some examples of problematic projects then look at the uh, London Olympics. In particular, because I'm a disputes lawyer, so I don't pretend to be an expert on the procurement and management of these projects, but looking at some of the features of the approach, but uh, in particular the features of the form of contract used, and of particular interest is the approach to dispute resolution and dispute avoidance for the Olympic Games, and then track back to see... Just briefly, if those um, experiences would have uh, and approaches would have helped the failed projects. So, sample difficult projects. Uh, I'm going to look um, not in detail at at, uh, all of these, but start with the new Berlin airport. I don't choose the Berlin airport out of uh, sour grapes because of Brexit. But it's just an interesting overall project to look at. Scottish Parliament, and I don't choose that because of sour grapes. There was was an independence referendum. And then I do get to to Wembley, which is is definitely a core uh, UK project, English project. So start with um, Berlin. Germany has a a hard-earned reputation for precision engineering and punctuality. But the long-delayed Brandenburg Airport, according to the German press, is besmirching that good name and turning the capital into a laughing stock. Originally scheduled to open in October 2011, the airport has been beset by delays and is now running €5 billion Euros over budget and uh, having anticipated opening in 2011. The ribbon-cutting ceremony is now scheduled for an as yet unknown date in 2018, seven years after the airport was supposed to open. So where's it all gone wrong? The problems first started to arise in 2012 when Angela Merkel uh, and 10,000 guests were about to attend the opening. But it had to be cancelled due to a fault with fire alarms and smoke extractors. But that turned out just to be the tip of the iceberg. And uh, a catalogue of major technical faults were revealed, including 90 kilometres of cables incorrectly installed, 4,000 doors incorrectly numbered, escalators too short, and the airport's roof um, being twice the authorised weight. That's not all. There have been allegations of corruption. Um, The press claimed that the airport's planner-in-chief was not an engineer but an imposter, and there are worrying claims that a whistleblower at the airport was poisoned, although this has not been proved. All this is in the press. I'm <laughs> just summarising the background. Heads of rolled. the former Berlin mayor, Klaus uh, Wawreit, who famously described his city as poor but sexy, was forced to resign from his post in part because of the airport fiasco. So getting down to an analysis of what went wrong. The key issues appear to have been, firstly, inadequate client skills with no outside expertise brought in. I mean, the public body client simply didn't have sufficient construction expertise to understand the importance of early planning, didn't bring in sufficient outside resources. A consequence of the lack of client skills was its failure to make a realistic assessment of the cost at the outset And uh, they rejected tenders from main contractors on the basis they were too high and decided to appoint directly 35 contractors to construct the terminal on the basis that this would save costs. Another example of the lack of client skills was the uh, client's inability to appreciate just how poor the planning and design of the project was. And that led to design and construction taking place in parallel. There was no adequate uh, change management system in place. A key issue which caused delay and problems was the inadequate ongoing design of the fire services. As the building envelope increased in size over the design and construction period, the fire safety services were simply upsized rather than properly redesigned. The disputes multiplied with a number of key advisors being fired, and once this happened, vital knowledge was lost. So perhaps the summary of the problems for that project. That no client expert delivery team. Secondly, inadequate cost and program information preventing management of changes. Thirdly, inadequate provision for design changes. And fourthly, no tiered dispute resolution, which led to acrimony and division. So, in summary, it's a project that looks uh, like an almost perfect case study in how not to procure and manage a major infrastructure project. The next project, which I mentioned briefly, is the iconic Scottish Parliament building designed by uh, Enrique Morales to be um, a, a spectacular Parliament building. It was commenced in 1999, Plan completion was 2001, and it opened eventually in October 2004, a delay of three years. But the more spectacular increase was that the planned cost was £50 million, and the final cost was £431 million, with a cost overrun of 730%. And uh, the barrister who was appointed as counsel for the inquiry described the position when he said in my respectful submission of course it's a barrister when you start with in my respectful submission you know something's coming to follow um, the Scottish Parliament building project exemplifies a failure of procurement management of gigantic proportions and at almost every level of official and professional involvement the primary cause of the problems appear to have been scope creep namely changes to the size Scale and specification of the building while it was being built, but it was clear that the original cost estimate was woefully inadequate. The Auditor General uh, made a number of criticisms, and there was a full inquiry report. The criticisms incru- included reasons for the late delivery of the p- project, which, which were principally the production of um, design variations and the late supply of information, with some 10,000 change orders issued over the course of the project with a with a a design that was complex and novel and for example the foyer roof had radical changes and increased in cost from 1.8 million to 7.3 million pounds so there was a great deal of design during developing during construction and reasons other reasons for increased cost the cost the original cost figures didn't give proper allowance for for example, inflation, which, uh, which increased by £19 million, pounds, prolongation, £73 million, pounds, or design development, £68 million. Pounds. So the Auditor-General summarised the Scottish Parliament problems by advising, firstly, that the form of contracting should be co- chosen with care. Secondly, there should be performance incentives for contractors. Thirdly, that there should be a single point of leadership and control. Fourthly, that performance needed to be measured as the project unrolled. And fifthly, that there should be adequate time for planning and design before the project started. For two minutes, I just mentioned talking about scope creep and design prior to embarking on the project. A long-running series of cases with which I was involved. Um, which involved uh, the most beautiful Herefordshire estate uh, in the UK. Uh, The estate was purchased by, it was a historic estate, purchased by an individual who'd made a very large fortune in the mobile phone industry and this was his pet project. And my client was an architect who'd done work for the royal family and he was uh, was, uh, a wonderful architect, quite old-fashioned. He used to Sketches, designs on a pad of beautiful artistic sketches he didn't really bother too much about contracts and he didn't really bother at all about controlling costs and this client's brief to him was on one piece of paper and he said excite me well of course that is an invitation <laughs> for not only a beautiful project but a pretty expensive and um, possibly disastrous situation so Anyway, the beauty and tranquillity of the, the buildings and their surroundings belied the acrimony that surrounded the project at completion. And the client and his partner, rather hysterically, alleged that the finished project was a house of horrors. It looked beautiful when we looked around doing the site visit. However, it led to serial adjudications, it led to six or seven uh, court actions, between a client and main contractor and ultimately client and architect. And uh, the the architect was alleged, amongst other things, to have failed to ensure that before practical completion was certified, uh, a number of allegedly significant defects had been cured. These significant defects included uh, an allegation that he had failed to ensure that a glass roof be um, incorporated in the moon pool to cover the outer perimeter to ensure that the maintenance staff were able to walk over it to reach the Italian fountain in the centre to maintain it. Needless to say, the night before the main action was due to start, uh, it ended in a very substantial payment to the architect and uh, confirmation that uh, his good name was uh, unaffected by this litigation. Wembley. Is an iconic stadium, it's a spectacular uh, finished product, but Wembley w- was a project which ended up in, in court in extremely expensive serial litigation and adjudication. There was a one-year delay in the project and there was a cost overrun from £757 million to, uh, to, a, to a billion pounds of 32% cost overrun. But the the most spectacular aspect of this was the acrimony and the the costs that were involved in the uh, resolving some of the disputes. Just a snapshot of the dispute by, between the main contractor and the um, the steel work subcontractor. It was a 60 million pound. Um, subcontract to design, fabricate and erect the structural steelwork under a JCT subcontract. It was unusual because of the novel load-bearing steel arch which had been hard to estimate in terms of cost and duration but uh, a a look at the chronology of the subcontract reveals how it spiralled downhill so uh, it, it started with The subcontractor alleging that the design was incomplete and it was being held up, so claiming extensions of time, sending letters of protest. The main contractor alleged poor performance and delay by the subcontractor. And so at the end of the first year, the parties were both blaming each other and um, making extravagant claims for extensions of time and counterclaims and contracharging from certificates Uh, Hostilities resumed after Christmas, and there were board meetings uh, held by the main contractor and separately by the subcontractor in February the following year. And at the same time, the uh, subcontractor was developing a plan uh, to allege that the main contractor had repudiated the contract and... uh, Uh, and that the contract was enlarged, and they called this plan Project Trafalgar. At the same time, the main contractor was hatching its plan to resolve the difficulties um, and that it should replace the subcontractor with another steelworks subcontractor and and pursue substantial financial claims. It called its plan Plan Armageddon. (laughs) Plan Armageddon. It was Plan Armageddon that uh, that hit first, and uh, the after the arch had been raised, um, despite some uh, problems with alleged defects in the steelwork, the main contractor uh, through the subcontractor off-site, there were then five adjudications. Uh, the, the adjudicator came out with a balance of account. Neither party was happy with that, and they commenced proceedings. The first action involved 11 preliminary issues, and uh, the costs were tens of millions of pounds, including £1 million for photocopying alone. Um, And uh, Mr Justice Jackson, who's uh, one of our principal uh, construction judges, said in a further case in 2008, the, the preliminary issues case was 2006, I previously expressed concern that this litigation has been conducted in a disproportionate manner. Most litigants in the TCC, the Technology and Construction Court, adopt a commercial approach to dispute resolution once they've, they've obtained the court's decision on liability. And on questions of principle, litigants usually agree upon valuation and similar matters to limit costs. In the present case, that's not the approach of the parties, despite having litigated both at this level and in the Court of Appeal on a number of issues. Instead, vast and disproportionate costs have been incurred and continue to be incurred in litigating about matters which cry out for sensible resolution and compromise. And a summary of the problems might be that the form of contracting should be chosen with care. There's a need for trust and cooperation between the parties, not immediately descending into acrimony. The need for performance incentives for contractors There was no client leadership and control in that situation. There should be adequate time for design and planning before the project starts. There was a need for transparent provision of programme delays and the regular assessment of extension of time. There was a need for dispute avoidance to prevent Project Trafalgar or Project Armageddon, and the adjudication was all too late and in any event not accepted and just enhanced the acrimony. And uh, finally, there was a need to prevent spiralling litigation costs and enable some sort of alternative dispute resolution. I'm going to move on to the positive approach in a moment, but, uh, so I don't really have time to go into the circumstances of the other cases that I mentioned, which are problem projects. But Gibraltar and obrascon has uh, been a prominent case for a number of uh, issues in our courts, first instance and Court of Appeal, This was uh, a development of Gibraltar Airport which involved tunnelling. The contractor found more contaminated material, um, particularly arising from the use of the the, the airport uh, area location as a military site. And there was a um, dispute between the employer and the contractor as to who should bear the risk of the the volume of contaminated material. But one of the problems was that it only gradually, uh, the scale of the problem only gradually developed so that it involved very substantial delay to the project, which increased the difficulty of resolving those issues, um, although the um, the resolution of the liability issue was a matter of contractual interpretation and a matter of, um, of, of the, the risk allocation uh, as a matter of law, which m- might affect any project, but it didn't. It wasn't picked up early enough. It wasn't addressed early enough. There wasn't a cooperative approach to the project. The fifth example of a project that I had originally in the list is uh, uh, an offshore wind farm, the Solway Firth, which was the most recent case to reach our Supreme Court, uh, and uh, called Hoggard. And it involved a dispute over the design responsibility for the failure of the concrete um, Columns, uh, different decisions were were uh, arrived at first instance, then Court of Appeal, and then the Supreme Court as to who was responsible. In the end, it was held the contractor was responsible. Um, but and I'll mention that in the context of the the NEC contract. Uh, at the end, the final example was the Shard, which uh, is a, an extraordinary building in London, the tallest building in Europe, and its construction involved steelwork up to 40 three floors I think and the first nine um, were delayed and they the impact of that delay and the impact on the program uh, was the issue in the case but part of the problem was uh, the the lack of programs that could uh, assist both in resolving the problem and in um, then resolving the the court case and the experts uh, delay experts had uh, had difficulty in um, being able to explain and persuade the court as to the the uh, liability and the impact of the delays so I'm going to before I go to the going to go to the Olympic project it's easy to overlook that uh, after the award of the games in 2005 um, the Olympic delivery Authority was created to deliver the infrastructure for the games but It was a difficult situation at the outset because the ODA had inherited a site that suffered from generational neglect. It was tasked with delivering a construction programme twice the size of Heathrow Terminal 5 in half the time. The contractors in the public sector at the time were cynical about the project. The economy was buoyant, which reduced the appetite in the supply chain. But if one then moves forward, by 2012, um, the ODA had delivered on time and within budget these um, major projects, including the Olympic Stadium, the Velodrome, the International Broadcast Centre, the Aquatic Centre, the Olympic, the Athletes Village, and the temporary structures. And um, in one sees the t- statistics for the complexity of the project, and they had used for for the majority of these major projects, the NEC contract form, NEC3, and in a moment I'm just going to summarise some some of the, the approaches um, of the NEC contracts. But before getting there, it's worth just looking at some aspects of the approach to the management of the project, because it was the largely the project management that contributed to the the success of the project, although one has to bear in mind that this is a project with major political clout, uh, major funding, it, it couldn't go wrong, so then, then one needs to see whether the, the approach and the contract would apply with it equally problem-free to other infrastructure projects with less public prominence. The ODA established a learning legacy from this project with a collection of published reports that are uh, accessible on the internet to to look at the detail. And uh, that resource has been followed with Crossrail as well. Looking at some of the themes uh, in the approach, firstly, the use of a delivery partner. The ODA recognized that even with high quality individuals it, it had in house, it still didn't have sufficient construction and project experience. So it hired a delivery partner, and the delivery partner approach um, was attributed by the the learning legacy analysis as being a fundamental aspect of the success of the project. And the delivery partner was engaged under the NEC3 professional services contract. Secondly, during the detailed design and construction high-quality project management techniques were deployed with very detailed information on cost and programme required from the Tier 1 subcontractors. Thirdly, the use of the contract I'm going to come on to in a moment sat alongside a raft of management tools, including a suite of monthly reviews, um, which focused on different aspects of delivery. And they involved monthly cost reports and monthly project status reports produced by the delivery partner looking at information um, from the Tier 1 contractors. And finally, a change control procedure was put in place and a control culture fostered with um, trust in the accuracy of reporting and the baseline was updated to a current baseline budget. The NEC 3 contract was used for Uh, The majority of the projects. It's a contract which has been used and is being used internationally as well as on these projects within the UK. It's used in South Africa. It's um, now used widely by the government in Hong Kong. And it was even found in uh, the the project for the building of Halley Base in uh, Antarctica. I understood when um, when I came here that it had only been used on the Mount Mercer wind farm in Australia, but as I've um, visited the different cities where I've talked, it's clear that uh, th- that the NEC 3 contract, um, and not just the principles behind it, are be- is being used in, for example, highways um, projects in Perth. So just looking at the, the way in which some of the principal features of this contract, firstly it takes an approach that encourages a collaborative relationship between the parties. There's a clause which provides that the parties should act in a spirit of mutual trust and cooperation. It has been argued that that implies, incorporates a, uh, a duty of good faith, but the courts in the UK have rejected that. But quite whether that makes a difference uh, is, uh, is unclear. But the, the, the ethos can be a very powerful driver. It creates a different relationship and atmosphere for the project from the outset. Secondly, these contracts provide a clear methodology for project management with processes and procedures clearly defined. Um, and uh, this was particularly important in terms of the, the obligations to provide detailed cost and programme information on a regular basis. Thirdly, for many of the Olympic projects, There are different options uh, that can be chosen by the parties, which include two, um, which include a target uh, uh, contract, including a pain and gain share approach. And uh, this offers an incentive in the form of a share of the, the gain to the contractor to complete the works for less than the target price, and a disincentive in the form of a share of the pain Uh, if the works are completed for more. The target cost is set from a priced activity schedule, which is then adjusted as the project um, proceeds to take account of compensation events. The contractor's paydix costs as the project progresses, but then a balance is struck on completion or as agreed. The fourth important aspect is that the contract provides for an accepted programme, which... um, is regularly updated, and the the accepted program is um, it, it starts its life in the contract data, and uh, it is then uh, adjusted and um, amended at, at an interval that's agreed between the parties, not um, not more than four weeks, and the contractor must show a detailed range of Um, data in the program including actual progress and its effect on the timing of the remaining works, the effects of compensation events, how the contractor plans to deal with delay and any other changes the contractor proposes to make to the program and then the project manager on behalf of the employer um, either accepts the program or rejects it and there are specific reasons for rejecting which are set out in the contract and uh, the fifth feature is that um, of early warning notices, which um, the contract requires the contractor and the project manager to give early warning by notifying the other as soon as either becomes aware of any matter which could cause an increase in costs or uh, a delay. The early warning notices in the Olympic projects appear to have been successful. There were 21,000 early warning notices for the Olympic projects. This was a changing culture because contractors normally unused to uh, providing notice of problems which may indicate shortcomings on their side. But uh, the the ethos of the approach of the parties and the requirement for these notices uh, in the the Olympic projects ensured that um, potential problems were addressed at an early stage, as soon as they were, Um, they became apparent, they're discussed, um, they're added to a risk register, there's a risk reduction meeting, and they have a direct relevance to payment. Compliance with the procedure has a direct relevance to payment under the contract. The sixth feature is that of compensation events. These are events which change the cost of the work or the time needed to complete it and uh, for which compensation may be, um, may be given, may be an entitlement. And uh, examples, the project manager giving instructions to change the works information, the employer not providing something uh, by the date required or a breach by the employer or unexpected physical conditions, etc. But what marks out the, the NEC3 contracts uh, is the manner in which these events are dealt with they have to be notified within uh, uh, an eight-week period. There is a, there's a time bar. They, um, they then first have to be discussed between the contractor and the project manager. And at the discretion of the project manager, they're addressed by quotations by the contractor and or uh, the, the, the project manager may, may make his own assessment. And once that is agreed then those uh, quotations and the agreed assessment, um, they're based on a forecast and they bind the parties uh, unless it's later shown that the information used as the basis has been wrong. So that's a review of some of the main features of the the contract used for uh, for the Olympic projects. The... Dispute resolution approach is of particular interest to um, what well, well, was to me and will be to dispute laws because the uh, the NEC3 contract incorporates the, a provision for adjudication and then um, because we have statutory adjudication, essentially a 28-day process with a temporarily binding decision. If the parties don't like it, then they can uh, then proceed to take their claim to the tribunal. The tribunal is either the court or arbitration. And um, in the case of the Olympic projects, it was the courts. The courts have re-established themselves as uh, as what's perceived to be the most reliable um, form of um, uh, of, of tribunal for for ultimate resolution of the disputes. But uh, importantly for the Olympics, The provisions of the NEC3 contract were amended to include an escalation clause for for reference to senior executives for negotiation. And then this very interesting independent dispute avoidance panel, and the avoidance panel was an 11-person panel. It had two functions, one a general function for avoiding disputes generally. And running training and education for the parties and project managers. But then, if a particular issue arose, it was referred to the panel. A designated member was appointed to try to assist the parties to resolve their issue before it became a dispute. And that that uh, under that's an informal process, and uh, it proved to be very successful because only two of the potential disputes. Um, got through the, the dispute avoidance panel and reached the adjudication panel with one of those two adjudications being suspended. And uh, it, it, it appears that only one, um, one case reached the TCC for resolution in court and that was the dispute of, uh, involving the construction of the athlete's village and uh, it was dispute between main contractor... And sub concrete frame subcontractor, the subcontractor made a claim of seven million, the main contractor counterclaimed for seven million, and the case disappeared. But it was successful dispute avoidance and dispute resolution, and the the new form of contract, NEC four, which was released in June this year, makes a number of incremental um, improvements and changes. But one aspect of that is to incorporate the Olympic approach uh, in NEC 4 to include escalation through management and dispute avoidance and dispute adjudication boards. I'm just looking at how this approach might have, um, it might have resolved some of the problems that were experienced in these projects. Well, with, with the Berlin Airport, the problems were no client expert delivery team, inadequate cost and programme information preventing the management of changes, inadequate provision for design changes, and no tiered dispute resolution, which led to acrimony and division. Well, you'll see that some of the approaches from the, uh, uh, the, the NEC3 um, contract and the, the management approaches to the Olympics could well have uh, assisted with avoiding the problems that were experienced with uh, Berlin, although one may well have had um, had a number of those problems in any event. But it assists by addressing problems, flagging them up early, everyone knowing about them early, resolving uh, them as early as possible, and then having a tiered dispute resolution approach. The Scottish Parliament. Um, perceived to, in particular, uh, there should, that there should be performance incentives for contractors, that there should be a single point of leadership in control, that performance should be measured as the project unrolled, and that there should be adequate time for planning before the project started. Yes, if they have taken uh, the, an alternative approach along the lines of uh, the, the Olympic um, approach, then that could well have resolved none of the problems that they faced. And Wembley. um, Similarly, the need for performance incentives for contractors, adequate time for planning before the project started, the need for transparent provision of programme delays and a regular assessment of extensions of time, and the need for dispute avoidance to avoid a situation such as Project Trafalgar or Project Armageddon and uh the uh, try to avoid the adjudications and serial expensive uh litigation the that the the Olympic approach could well have helped in in relation to um, resolving some of those problems as early as possible. The NEC contracts are not trouble free, and I think from my personal perspective, if one's using NEC three four for example, local authority highways term contracts. Then there are potential problems because they're very resource-intensive. They need they need a very um, they, they need a lot of education of those operating the contracts with the Olympics. There was a huge programme of uh, education of um, both the employer team and the uh, contractors and subcontractors. And uh, a local authority employer may well find itself. Um, requiring resourcing for to educate its personnel and also the, the resources needed to deal with the early warning approach and the addressing compensation events early. And uh, in cases that I have um, come, come across, experienced contractors can hide some of the pricing information and some of the detail in the, in the detail that's required Uh, in the uh, the contract data and the works information, which can be uh, be quite confusing. So that perhaps a word of warning for the um, lower-scale projects for using these contracts. Some of these cases pick out particular issues, and um, the the first one, TSC and TSG in Anglia, that was a case where it was alleged that um, a local authority couldn't terminate because it owed um, there was a duty of good faith and it was terminating a term contract just after the contractor had invested hugely, and it was clearly unfair, but it was entitled to do so under the contract, so that that was not a good enough defense. AMEC and, the Secretary of State of Defense, that was a uh, uh, court being asked to interpret the very complicated pain gain share provisions in a submarine um, maintenance contract, so that there was a clear provision that for the first 50 million above the target contract, the the target price, the contractor should bear that. But then there was ambiguity as to what happened if there was an even greater loss. Uh, and uh, the court had to resolve the um, that ambiguity. Um, RWM-Bentley is a conflict between um, provisions for um, what, what tasks were required prior to, comp- to sectional completion in two different parts of the, uh, the contract data. Um, and the Atkins and Northern Ireland are cases involving interpretation of compensation events. With Atkins, it was a, um, a highways maintenance contract and the contractor had uh, alleged that it had found a greater... Volume of or frequency of potholes, which have been extremely expensive, and the adjudicator and the court held that uh, it, it couldn't complain. It, they weren't defects. The volume of the or the frequency of the potholes didn't constitute defects under the contract, which would have entitled a compensation event. But that they were um, that they, they had taken the risk because that was it was not a pain gain share option. It was a priced contract. And that uh, if they'd been entitled to recover because they had um, they had found more than they'd expected, then they would have had a win-win commercial situation where they would have been entitled if they'd found less to the lump sum, so they were they were not entitled to compensation events. But they're just a uh, a sample of the increasing jurisprudence arising from NEC3 as one sees these contracts applied on different types of project, different levels of project. So that the um, the picture that one sees from the Olympic projects is not necessarily as rosy uh, in relation to other forms of um, contract, other forms of project. But, uh, but the, the approach broadly helps if it's sufficiently resourced. I want to mention briefly the Crossrail project, because that is an extraordinary project. It has just over a year to go until the new Elizabeth Line railway opens in December 2018. And the programme's running on time and on schedule to be delivered within its £14.8 billion budget. The route will run 100 kilometres from Reading and Heathrow in the west. to Abbey Wood in the east. There'll be 40 stations, including 10 new stations. And uh, the first services will start in late 2018 and are estimated to carry 200 million passengers per year. It's the first complete new underground line station in London for more than 30 years. Tunnelling began in summer 2012. Eight 1,000 tonne tunnelling machines have bored 26 miles. Um, of new of tunnels under London. All the track has now been installed and um, the project's entered a new phase its construction trains are now able to travel the full length of both new tunnels from end to end. Since construction of the new railway began, over 15,000 men and women have worked on the project and uh, over 100 million working hours have been completed. The client took certain approaches uh, as commercial drivers for the project. Firstly, in relation to a pain-gain share, there was, um, uh, it adopted a simple 50-50 pain-gain share uh, as as a fair and balanced approach between employer and contractor. Secondly, in relation to completion dates, with so many interfaces between the contracts, it was essential that contractors achieved interface milestones on time and the client Used extensively used key dates and section completion dates with appropriate damages across all the contracts. The NEC3 Option C target contract was used for the 36 main works contracts with a total value of approximately £6.5 billion. A number of amendments were made to these standard NEC3 contracts which included the use of a geotechnical baseline report as the basis for assessment of compensation events for physical conditions, a payment cycle that would accord with our statutory payment regime um, within a 30-day, entitling payment within a 30-day period. The client was permitted to deduct the pain share, if there was a pain share, before completion to avoid the need to take action after completion. Um, performance bonds of 10% uh, were used uh, rather than retention or retention bonds. Parent company guarantees were taken. The contractor was required to take all reasonable steps in mitigation of any compensation event. It couldn't just sit back and claim that the entitlement. Project bank accounts were used and contractors were required to pay uh, subcontractors directly from the account and it, the NEC in that case required a great deal of formal communication over 150,000 separate communications were issued under the works contracts and the client chose uh, the most up-to-date communication system and document management system uh, allowing the integration of communications with documents reports and drawings so as, as for dispute resolution it considered the approach taken on the Olympics, and it, rather than adopt a dispute avoidance panel, it chose a panel of adjudicators as the most appropriate option. So, it, and it, But it did include um, a uh, provision requiring managerial discussions. The, um, the client apparently encountered a number of disputes with contractors mostly revolving around issues of time, but generally engaged successfully in managerial discussions to reach agreement. To date, it's recorded that the client has had just one formal adjudication in relation to the main works contracts. And as of uh, the middle of this year, 19 of the 36 main contracts have reached formal contract completion, all of which are commercially settled. And none of these completed contracts have any outstanding disputes. I just wanted to mention my understanding of the, the work of the SCL in revising the ASC 11,000 uh, standard form Australian contract. And the uh, SCL Australia has been asked to, um, to participate in the drafting of this uh, revised contract. And my understanding is that they have included the following... Um, Aspects of the approach that we've been looking at in the current drafting firstly um, Firstly there there is an express obligation to exercise good faith so that it goes further than the NEC requirement for um, mutual trust and cooperation secondly an early warning process has been uh, Included requiring the superintendent the employer and the contractor to give notice of a problem and that links into the dispute avoidance process. Thirdly, for as far as um, the equivalent of compensation events is concerned, there, there are no, t- no time bars, and the failure to give a timely notice sounds only in damages but doesn't preclude remedy um, the recovery of the claim. Fourthly, in relation to dispute resolution or dispute avoidance, a facilitator is av- appointed who can... Um, who can assist by, um, uh, with, with a number of um, steps, service provisions. He, he or she will consult as necessary, will chair the early warning process, will chair the updating of programmes, make recommendations, give an advisory opinion, and can make a non-binding determination. But if the parties can't settle, then there's a choice between arbitration and expert determination. Rather than the use of the court, which is the approach that we um, we're more likely to take now in uh, in the UK projects, and uh, and the, the there is no incorporation of dispute adjudication boards, which are con- considered to be too complex. So the the aim is to adopt a modern approach and avoid a combative contract approach um, in in these contracts so it'd be very interesting to hear more about the progress of that and very interesting to hear from you about your experiences i that you know, just from my short conversations before we started that uh that, that a number of different approaches being taken to um to project management education and uh and the contractual approach in in, in projects with which you're involved Wrapping up, Um, what lessons might be learnt from um, some of the failed projects, some of of the more successful projects? Firstly, they, they come under the head of project management, getting the right people in the right roles at the outset, getting realistic estimates of cost and time at an early stage, ensuring that the design is properly developed and the client's requirements are identified before contracts are placed, Putting in place systems that provide accurate information as to cost and time, making that information available to the client, so transparency being crucial. Ensuring the client has sufficient skills to understand that information and act on it, and ensuring that problems in terms of quality, cost, and program are identified at an early stage, and that the um, processes, the information, and the skills are available to resolve those problems when they arise. And secondly, the contractual framework and the legal strategy, ensuring that the contract supports those management aims, and they might include uh, gain-share gain and incentives which align client and contractor interests, the obligations to provide early notice of problems, obligations to provide specific types of information on a regular basis, and then a tiered uh, dispute resolution process. But... Not all management approaches and uh, contractual approaches can solve all problems of the contract, and this was the uh, the most recent experience of Halley Bay Antarctic Station, and uh, a massive crack appeared too close to the station soon after construction. And last winter, it was decided that the station should be moved to safety, and a major project was conducted to move it, but the. The, it was interesting that the NEC contract was used for the construction of this station because there's only a nine week window for construction and, and, uh, and dramatic weather constraints and a need for a very, very different approach to, uh, to contracting to achieve, um, achieve a successful outcome. So, Halley Bay is now at its new home, and um, because of my interest in Antarctica. Uh, I was looking more at the Australian experience and your hero is Sir Douglas Mawson and he, And I'm not sure whether this, this uh, talk is tied in with, with Adelaide because um, Douglas Mawson, um, he, he was born in Yorkshire to the, but he lived there to the age of two. He then, then came to Australia. He is a geologist and he took part in Shackleton's early expedition and he was then invited by Scott to join his ill-fated expedition, but he decided that he would run his own expedition to a part of Antarctica that subsequently became the Australian sector and he had an extraordinary adventure um, during the course of that expedition and he then returned to Australia to, uh, he became a professor at Adelaide University, professor of geology, he only died in 1958. But, but the main Antarctic explorers all revere Mawson as being, being the, the true explorer um, and, uh, and an expert geologist. And there are regular or periodic expeditions to, uh, to, to ensure that his heritage and his huts are, uh, are properly maintained in Antarctica. And, uh, and uh, so I have a particular interest in that aspect. That's all I wanted to say, thank you very much for, I mean I appreciate that you're, um, you, you come so early in the morning for, for breakfast, it's, uh, it, it's terrific to be invited to join you and I hope that you have a wonderful Melbourne Cup day. It's great to have the chance to be here and to meet with you. Thank you very much. <laughs>